Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can give us a call, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Alex will be answering the phone. So if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, he just needs your first name and where you're calling from. That makes it very easy for him because he's got so many buttons to push and everything else. And Mr. Keller, before you take off, yes. what do you think about this no mask type thing? Well, I think I'm still going to wear mine uh, a lot of places. It's uh, it's interesting because we're not near herd immunity, which is what we really need to get to. I think it's kind of they, they're they're intending it to be an incentive. Hey, if I get a vaccination, I don't have to wear a mask. But I think most of the people who don't wear a mask aren't going to get vaccinated anyway. <laughs> so I don't know how effective it's going to be. So I guess it's good news. I just hope it's not too soon. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the percentages, like only like 30 plus 30 to 40 percent of people in Missouri have been vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So that means 60 percent have not. I'm assuming that includes kids and everything else, which, you know, that kind of knocks it down a little bit. But it's just incredible that they're just going to sort of trust people. Well, and, and and you know, we went to Florissant a few weeks ago, or Florissant, Florida, and <laughs> well, I haven't been to Florissant in a while. But anyway, uh, Florida, and it's like there's no COVID there. I mean, it's just, you know, it's the Wild West. And I think if you're outside of the urban areas like St. Louis and Kansas City uh, in Missouri, you don't see any mask anyway. No. So it's kind of like, okay, well, whatever. You know, those of us who have followed the guidelines will probably continue to be careful. Right. And those who don't, won't. So I don't know how much of a big difference it's going to make. We're going to have, you know, I, I have to admit, I kind of like only having 4,000 at Blues games because I had beer the other night at the game and did not have to wait in line. <laughs> And I didn't have to wait in line to empty it out either. So that was kind of nice. Uh, <laughs> but it'll be fun to have fans back at the games for sure. Yeah. yeah. The excitement and everything else. Oh, yeah, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks, Brian. Too bad. Too it bad. is Saturday morning, and let's have a discussion about what is happening in your yard and what's going to be happening to, oh, I put my house plants out, and I didn't realize the sun was going to be shining so brightly right there. Or... Do I need to use potting mix or should I improve my soil or should I do any pruning or should I watch out for bugs? 
Using the information I'll share with you will hopefully solidify your options, but the final judgment is going to be on your shoulders. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home where, wherever you happen to be listening. And another very important player, as I said earlier, is Alex. He's producing. He was off last week. This week, he, we welcome him back. And uh, so he answers the phone, he pushes the buttons and everything else. And I'm Mike Miller. been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. That was in the last century. Oh, my gosh. That's unbelievable. And I can come to your home and do landscape consultations. If you'd like for me to do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Homepage, there's my email address and phone number. This past week I was at uh, over by Francis Park on Tam Avenue. Great house, great landscape, great everything. But uh, it was uh, one of those kind of scenarios that I run into a lot during my walk and talks. Is like over the t- period of time, uh, even if they were done professionally, you know, design-wise and everything else, too many plant materials, too much, especially when houses have really unique architecture and things like that. And that was really the scenario with this house is this, some of the stuff was really fantastic, but other things, it was just clutter. It just looked like, hmm. But anyway, and then today I'm headed out to Baldwin off Vance Road, off Hannah, actually. 141 to Vance, not very far off, and then uh, north to Hannah. And then so have some fun out there. That's kind of the area I grew up in. Anyway, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. When I first woke up this morning, I thought, hmm, it's probably really dark like this because it's really going to cloudy and everything else. And then all of a sudden, the sun came out for about 15 or 20 minutes. And uh, wow, I thought, all right, sunny. Well, that didn't last too long. But anyway, as I sort of like a blink of my eye, then it was, then I was raining. Oh, come on. Anyway, I headed down Morgan Ford, and there is a triangular bed. This fills a wedge. And uh, actually, this is the Marty Frumhoff, F R U M H O F F Memorial Garden. And there's a grove of flowering cherries there. The cherries were starting to form because they, you know, we're flowering a couple of weeks or probably a month ago or so. And there's some benches with a pair of uh, sh- spreading yews right there that mingle in together. And a surprise, there is a white flowering tree right now, really kind of sprinkled out through the entire metropolitan area that is very fragrant. And there was one in this little wedge garden and this memorial garden. And those are fringe trees, F-R-I-N-G-E. Chiononanthus is actually the, the genus of that. But they flower this time of year, and, I mean, you talk about fragrance. You think lilacs are fragrant. Well, this thing, as soon as I stepped out the car, I didn't see where the, the fringe tree was, but I knew there had to be one really close by. And, and it's really kind of has a really unique fragrance to it. And as I started to walk around, there were some seed heads from last year's uh, coneflowers were still there. They haven't dropped the seeds yet. And they were probably waiting for the finches to have it. There was a variety of different kinds of sunflowers all over the place, which really were brightening the morning. It was still raining a little bit, but not too bad. There was hosta humps and liriope clumps, adding colorful variegated foliage to the area as well. The ornamental grasses, some of them were just waking up from a long winter's nap. There was a yellow-blooming Japanese iris in there, not the traditional flag-type iris, but a Japanese iris 
they don't quite have the, let's say, the petals that the traditional flags do. And there's three major patches of the dianthus, which has the gray foliage, and they are in full bloom right now. There's some tulip foliage, which reminds about what was going on about a month ago. There's a couple boulders sitting around, and I always wonder why people add boulders to landscapes. I've never really kind of understood the boulder concept. And nearby the boulders was a maple tree, and uh, there was some also on the opposite end of this wedge, there was spreading liriope, not the clump type, the spreading type. The spreading one is pretty aggressive as far as the ground cover and everything else. It's one they use in the Japanese garden to hold down the soil on the slopes and everything else. Now, whoa, and this spreading liriope was hiding a couple boulders. It shows you how aggressive it is. The sky was starting to lighten up. Walkers were moving up and down the sidewalk. Birds were chirping and flying overhead, and, well, it was time to go. So Mike Miller, KM West Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions, I will tell you, though, uh, even though they're predicting rain and everything else, the ground is pretty dry. So uh, you should make sure that, uh, especially any kind of new plant material, that you go out and do some watering even before it rains and uh, just to hydrate the root system, hydrate the soil and everything else. And you can give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's start off and go over to Barb's yard, and Barb lives in Belleville. Hi, Barb. Hello. Hi. I've got a couple of questions. Rosa Sharon bushes. Uh, didn't get as far as trimming them back this year. Is it too late to trim them back? Uh, yes, because if you prune them now, then you're probably cutting off the flowers that you would anticipate in the summertime okay that's what i need to know and when i do prune them next year uh what's the best time to prune them basically you can prune them anytime after they finish flowering so we're talking probably around halloween or something like that and until we come out of uh let's say the harsh part of winter so get them pruned before let's say uh ides of march Okay, so it's better to prune them in the fall instead of in the spring is what I'm getting. Right. Yeah, you prune in the spring, and uh, like I said, the flower buds, because our weather's so goofy, you never know what the, what stage the flower buds are going to be in. And you could just be cutting off so you just have foliage and no flowers at all, and you really grow the Rose of Sharon for the flowers. Okay, and basically you said any time after Halloween? Yeah, as soon as they finish flowering, so... You've got you can do that going into wintertime pretty easy. If it was a evergreen thing, I would say, you know, don't go don't prune going into wintertime, but since they're deciduous anyway, it's not going to make any difference as far as any kind of winter damage. Okay. And then the other question was we had a tree taken down and we need probably to plant some grass seed. What's the best time of the year to plant the grass seed? Well, this is a month to do it, but just realize the space where the tree was, even if you raked up all the you know, stump grindings and everything else, you're not going to get any grass to grow there. So just yeah. throw the grass seed out and just watch it uh, come up, germinate, and live for a couple of weeks and then die. So just get a big bag of grass seed and just constantly throw it out. Okay. And then uh, do you have to prepare the soil at all, or since there was grass there before, just kind of throw it down? 
Well, I mean, there's viable root systems and everything else. There probably there probably wasn't the, as far as the lawn that was there before. It probably wasn't really all that good as you know. As, right. So right. that's what the you More know weeds and lawn. Right, and there's a lot of root systems still there, and the root systems are going to stay viable for several years, even though the tree has been taken out. So yeah, that's, I understand. that's where the problem comes. But in preparing the grass ground, do you have to do anything? Can you just throw the grass seed down? Well, do I mean, you can, but it's not going to make that much difference. But, yeah, ideally you would add some compost topsoil mix. You you don't want a big pile of it or anything, but just, you know, to kind of help the grass seed maybe survive a little bit longer than if you don't do it. But it's not going to make a huge amount of difference for, you know, for a, a couple of years, to be honest. Okay, that's what I was expecting, but I just wanted to see once if May was okay yet to throw grass seed down or if I should just hold my grass seed and wait until, like, September. Yeah, if you wait, then you're just going to see a you know big, ugly spot. Yeah, so. it drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, just buy cheap grass seed and just, uh, you know, throw it out. Okay, okay. During the month of May, I'm all right with it. Yeah. Actually, May and September are really the ideal times to put grass seed down. But, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, the problem is putting the grass seed down in May. That's really the last month you can do it. Then if you're doing bluegrass or fescues, guess what? They're facing the harshest part of the year for them, which is summertime. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I was planning on watering it, so hopefully. Yeah, yeah watering doesn't really help as far as the temperature goes. Oh, okay. I mean, it does help a little bit, but it's not going to make that much difference. Okay. But if I throw it down now, I just take a chance and get lucky, maybe. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thanks a lot. I love your show. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, ideally, uh, it's too bad they don't sell weed seeds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it would grow a lot easier. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Thank you. Sure. And now let's head from Barb's and then go over to Vicky's house. Hi, Vicky. Hi, Mike. Hi. I called you last fall about bringing my hibiscus plant in for the winter, and I think you told me not to water it very much and set up a sunny window, and I did that, and it did good all winter. And then I couldn't remember exactly when you told me to set it back out. You said cut it back two-thirds before I set it out in the spring. Well, we had those bad spells of those frosts at night, so I was afraid to set it out. And then before I know it, it started blooming like crazy in my kitchen. And now I'm afraid to cut it back two-thirds. But I went ahead and set it out um, in an area that's mostly shaded. It gets morning sun and it's in the shade the rest of the day. But I just didn't know what to do with it now. Do I go ahead and move it out in the full sun? Do I cut it back two-thirds? Or how do I do that? I just leave it alone. I mean, enjoy all the flowers that you can get off of it and fertilize it monthly. And then, you know, enjoy the next several months of it being outdoors. Okay, one more question. I did the same thing with my geraniums. I brought them in, and they did really good, and they they start blooming really good. I set them out um, in the same place. It's mostly shady. But um, the leaves are starting to turn from green to purple. Is that is that bad? Uh, it's not ideal. And geraniums really, I mean, if they've been out for a couple of weeks in this, you know, shaded, protected location, you can migrate them into the full sun. Okay. And the same with my hibiscus that can go out in the full sun now? Well, uh, yeah, you, it probably should be okay. 
but just watch okay. out because I mean it's gonna you know it's been out a little bit. If it's had some direct sun hitting it, that's good. But if you can put it in a part shade location, it'd probably be a little bit better than in the full sun. For the whole summer? Yeah, I mean you can move it into the full sun, but uh, just kind of transition it a little bit more because this you know the w- way the weather's been and the, and the intensity of the sun on plant material could be a little bit could. You know, once, the, let's say, the leaves would get sunburnt on your hibiscus, it's going to take a while for it to recover from that. Okay. All so, righty. Well, thank you. Sure. Just be patient and, you know, move it into the sun slowly, but full sun slowly, but surely. Okay. All right. All right. And now let's go over to Rusty's yard. Hi, Rusty. Hey, Mike. Um, got a question. Can I plant Dutch clover in place of grass? Oh, yes. <laughs> Very much so. You can get uh, and then du- do I Go ahead. Oh, you can get Dutch white clover, but just make sure the seed has been inoculated. And what that is, it's been coated with something which encourages the seed to actually germinate. If it doesn't have that, then uh, it could be a little bit iffy. But uh, you know, there's been several, you know, places I've gone to where I've recommended the people because of the difficulty of having a lawn in their situation is to do Dutch white clover. Okay, so do I mow it then? You don't need to mow it. I mean, you can, but, uh, I mean, it only gets like three or four inches high at the most, and that's about how high you want your grass blades anyway. So I don't like mowing. (laughs) This should be ideal. Will it thrive thrive under trees? Uh, To a certain point, you know, but, I mean, it's a little bit tougher than lawn is underneath trees. So it may be, a little, okay. you know, when you get really close to the trunk, it probably is not going to be very good right there, but you're probably putting mulch around that part anyway. But it's pretty shade yeah. tolerant. I mean, it's not totally shade tolerant. It prefers the sun, but it's one of those things that can do full sun to really kind of almost deep shade. Now, when I, when I go to plant this, should I till in like two or three inches of compost? Uh, uh, you probably don't. You don't need ne- to necessarily do that. What you could do is, uh, I mean, that's a, that would be a lot of additional work. If you could do a, get a core aeration done and then put some put your seed out and then put a layer of compost on top of that, you know, like a half to a quarter or a half or to one inch, and do it that way. So in other words, the core aeration is going to open holes. That's going to fall down. The compost will fall down into the holes and uh, help feed the soil as well as then make it so the Dutch white clover seed can do better. All right, great. I'll give it a shot. All right, good luck. Thank you. Sure. Bye. And let's see if we can get another call before break. And what's going on in Cindy's yard? Hi, Cindy. Uh, yeah, this kind of, I guess, goes hand-in-hand hand with your previous caller. I had a question about micro clover. I was thinking about trying to start some of that and incorporate that with some grass seed, but I was wondering how that does in the Missouri area. I don't know micro clover, to be honest with you. I had seen that on one of the home improvement shows, and it, they were indicating that it really helps with the nitrogen in the soil. Does Dutch white clover do the same? Yeah, every, any clover does. Basically, oh, okay. it, ca- it captures you know, nitrogen out of the air, sends it down, and then stores it in its root system. Okay, so I could do the same with the Dutch white then. Right. Yeah, the okay, microclover, well, I don't know, so I don't have any experience with that. Okay, well, that, that it's good to know about the Dutch white then, so I can incorporate that to the grass. Right, and the Dutch white clover is going to be more readily available than this microclover. 
Yes, yes, that's what I was seeing, too. So that's good to know, then. So thank you so much for your assistance. Appreciate it. Sure. Thank you for the program. Yep, my pleasure. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Got some phone lines available. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, let's head over to Sue's yard and see what's going on. Hi, Sue. Hi. Uh, I've got a couple of questions. My first one is about an autumn blaze maple that I've got. It's about 13 years old, about 30 to 40 feet. I bought two of them at the same time, and they're both about the same size. They're about 12 to 15 inches around. This year, for some reason, one of those autumn blaze maples, half of it is hardly leafing out. The other half of the tree is fine, but one side is really sparse. And I notice way up in the top there's a lot of dead um, branches up in there, small ones. Um, I know you gave the name of um, a Timberline Tree Service, but Correct. I'm in Maryville, Illinois, and they don't come out here. Ah. So what do you think? Is any Have you heard of any problems going on with these maple trees? Well, I... That particular maple, no, but I'll tell you, I have three sugar maples around my house, and one of them was really late to leaf out, and it's had oh. some stress, you know, over the last couple of years where it's had some branches die, and then right now it did leaf out, but it is dropping leaves. So in other words, it's, I mean, I know why it's stressed out, but uh, you don't know in that particular situation. So there hasn't been any construction or anything around the tree or anything else that's abnormal. Uh, nothing around the tree, but there is new construction in the subdivision. They've built two new houses to the left of me, but the tree is nowhere near that. Right. The tree's in the center of my backyard. Okay. So it, something I was wondering about, I mean, when the trees were young, we used to buy those tree spikes that you put in the ground that fertilize the trees. Right, which is not used, not really good. Oh, okay. I didn't know, since the trees are so big now, I didn't know if that would be any good to try that? Or? No, you're better off to auger holes with an earth auger, electric drill, and go out halfway from the trunk to the drip line, auger holes about six inches deep, and backfill them with compost. You're feeding the soil, let the soil feed the trees. Fertilizing trees really doesn't work that, you know, with that tree stake thing really well at all. Okay, so go out, tell me again the dimensions of half. Okay, from halfway out from the trunk to the extension of the branches. You start doing holes. Uh, you okay. do a big, you know, and you go a circle all the way around the tree. And you do each hole about two feet apart, and it's six inches deep, and you backfill it with compost. Then you go out two more feet, and then you make another concentric circle all the way around. And you do it all way until you're just going beyond the drip line of the tree, so the furthest extension. Okay. Beyond drip line. All right. Okay, my second question is a Rose of Sharon question. I've had this thing for probably 13 or 14 years, and I was working out in my garden this week, and I noticed that the center of the Rose of Sharon was dead. So, And, and I keep my Rose of Sharon short. I mean, I prune that thing back once a year, probably four feet tall, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm trimming 
all this dead these dead branches out of the center and I've got this stuff all over me, so I'm dusting myself off. I have a light-colored shirt on, and I'm trimming again, and I notice again I'm covered. I got to looking. The tr- the bush is covered in black, I think, mites all over the leaves underneath. So I sprayed it with seven. Uh, that was probably Tuesday of this week, and I've gone out twice and looked at it. I can't see the mites crawling around, but... Did I do the right thing? Is the is the bush on its way out, or what do you think? It, you know, it should it should be able to survive, but you should probably rather than using seven, it may have been effective. But for if you know if they were mites, then get a miticide. That's the best thing to control the mites. Okay, well they're tiny, tiny, microscopic little black things. So I'm assuming they're mites, but I don't know. Yeah, it's probably the best thing to do is you know sp- if you see them again. Sprinkle some on a, let's say, a napkin or something and take it to your favorite garden center and let them take a look at it to find okay. out exactly what it is. All right. Should I try now? I mean, I still see them on there, but I can't, like I said, I can't tell that they're moving. But should I take the garden hose and kind of try to spray them Absolutely. off? Absolutely. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. So spray that bush down. Right. Thank you, sir. Sure. And my thank pleasure. you for your service. My pleasure. And thanks for having me on your show. Uh-huh. Bye. And also with your maple, that variety, those varieties of maple, even though they're really nice hybrids and they look good in catalogs and stuff, they're not really the best varieties for, you know, this region. So that's just kind of one of the things that I should have probably thrown in at the, the beginning. Let's go now. Let's, where should we go? Let's go over to Jean's yard. Hi, Jean. Hi. Hi. And thank you for my call. We have two large pin oaks in our front yard i'd say they're about 50 years old and they have these galls on them is there anything we can do or do we have to take those trees out you don't have to take the trees out i mean if there's not a huge amount of galls then there's i mean they're not i mean they're ugly when they're on the ground they're ugly when you look up in the trees if you don't like looking at them you're gonna have to take the trees out but uh it would take a generally they won't kill the trees it's just an aesthetic problem more so than anything else. Okay, because each year they get more and more right. on there. Because basically those are t- – actually the galls are created by a, t- a tiny wasp or a small wasp, and it's not a stinging-type wasp. But they do sting. The females sting oak branches and basically twigs, and then they, when they sting it, they deposit the eggs in there, and that's what causes the galls to happen. And a lot of times – they don't like to move to, you know, let's say a different neighborhood or something like that. So they kind of stay around the same trees, and especially if you have two, where they were born. And so that's why it gets more and more and more and more. And the galls, unless, you know, the, that particular twig breaks off or something, is just going to stay on that branch until finally, it, you know, whatever happens that would knock it down. All the oaks in our entire subdivision has these galls on them. So. Right. All the red oak group gets galls. If you had white oaks, they don't get galls. Okay. If we take these trees down, is there anything we can plant once we grind that stump out? Not right in that same spot, no, because it's solid wood underneath there. You're going to have to move it probably six or eight or ten feet away from that. Oh, Okay. All right, so I guess we'll take these trees down because each year they get worse. Our right. neighbors, is actually, he doesn't get leaves at all anymore. He just has this tree full of galls. Well, so his trees are dead, basically, if he doesn't have yeah. any leaves at all. No, no leaves. Right. 
and we're afraid that's what ours are going to end up, and we don't want them on the house. (laughs) 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 So, okay, well, thank you for your service. Sure, my pleasure. And let's get another call. Let's go over to Lenny's yard. Hi, Lenny. Good morning, Mike. I'm calling about um, some large boxwoods, older boxwoods that form part of a screen between the yards, and they, they're dying a slow death. And I'm not, I haven't had it diagnosed, but I think it could be boxwood blight. The pattern looks similar. And I know that if we take them out, there's five years before you put another boxwood in. So you, somebody called and rec, you recommended, um, you recommended a leather leaf viburnum and a red trumpet honeysuckle on a trellis and some sort of arborvitae, something to put in place of these large, tall boxwoods. Right. So any of those will work. I mean. Okay, just a right. Okay. Not, the only thing you have to be careful about is not putting another boxwood. If it is boxwood blight, is there a chance it spreads throughout the yard? No. The boxwood? Basically, any okay. kind of blight is really specific to us, you know, a, a specific group of plant materials. So, in other words, it's not going to work, you know, it's not going to cause problems for, let's say, if you have holly or some other evergreen as well. So, no. Or if you have yews or whatever it happens to be. So, the, the what disease. What about other boxwoods in other parts of the yard? Uh, generally, probably not would be my guess. Usually, uh, you know, a blight is transmitted by, you know, potentially insects, but a lot of times it's because the root systems overgrow each other. And then if one particular plant gets it, then it transmits it to another boxwood because those root systems have crossed each other. And then it's, you know, that's how the new other boxwood gets it. Gotcha. All right. Thank you very much. Right. And again, if you're, you know, find out if you're for sure that it is a blight because. uh, Oh, you recommend having it, sending it to a lab? Well, I mean, you could just take a cutting from a branch that, you know, that's showing, let's say, the distraction or the, let's say, the badness of the particular boxwoods that you have. Take it to your favorite garden center and have them take a look at it. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We will be back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Lucy's yard. Hi, Lucy. Hello. Hi. Hi, Mike. This is Lucy. As you know, I was just wondering, where can I get milkweed plants? I've been calling all over and nobody seems to have them. Really? Well, yeah, I have one little um, plant in my yard that I planted last year with seeds, and everything worked out great, but I really want to have more. And can I make cuttings off that plant? Or No, you'd have to do it with the root system. I would go to Missouri Wildflower Nursery. They're located down by Jefferson City, Columbia. Oh, Lord. Okay. You don't have to drive there. You can order online, and it'll ship them to you. Oh, okay. I was like, that's not really right down the street, but that sounds great. <laughs> but I've seen some milkweed in several different nurseries that I've been walking through. Well, where? Well, I can't remember exactly because well, you I, you know, okay. yeah, when I'm, you know, in between appointments and stuff and I got a couple minutes, I just stop by whatever nursery's co- close by. Ooh, okay. 
But All right, uh, I'll just keep trying harder. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. uh, I don't know what part of town you live in. Imperial. Oh, Imperial. Whoa. Really? <laughs> Bears Garden Center yeah. doesn't have any? Nope. Really? I'm right now. I could walk there. No. <laughs> Maybe it's just when I get there, they're all gone. That so. could be. But, yeah, Missouri mm-hmm. Wildflower Nursery, or if you come up towards the city, uh, you know, basically any of the independents. I don't know if the mm-hmm. the big box store nursery slash things, what if they have them or yeah. not. But I've seen them in several different, mm-hmm. you know, nurseries. Oh, okay. Great. I'll just try harder. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on my show, Mike. Sure. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And my you pleasure. have a good day. You too. Yeah, and also, again, Missouri Wildflower Nursery, you can just go online, their website, order, and uh, they'll ship. So let's now head over. Let's go. Why not? Let's go to Dave. We haven't been to a Dave's yard yet. Hi, Dave. Good morning. How are you doing? Very good. Fine. I have uh, something is eating through the uh, leaves of our roses. I went down to the uh, garden center down the street. And uh, they gave me a Bonide-type spray for lawns, vegetables, trees, shrubs, and ornamentals. Uh, within the last couple of weeks, as I used this spray, uh, there hasn't seemed to be any kind of uh, effect on whatever that is. Do you have another name, uh, brand, something that I could uh, use? This uh, happens every year. Is it something that's in the soil, maybe? No, it's probably not in the soil. But last week, somebody called. There's a small worm on the underside of the leaf. And this woman got it under control using seven, but you got to spray where the insect is. It's a little small worm that's causing this problem. So you have to spray on the underside of the leaf to kill them. Okay. Um, now, do they only come out at night, or what's the deal with these worms? Any clue? Uh, no, because, I, I mean, she sort of gave me the insight on what was eating them. I was thinking, you know, Japanese beetles and things like that, but it's too early for the Japanese beetles to be eating but somebody else had called earlier that day, and she said she had had that problem, and now yeah. she she just sprays routinely. And she says she didn't even have to spray on the underside of the leaf, but I would, you know, anyway myself. Just spraying uh, what, every two or three days? Yeah, uh, probably not anything? that often. Every just, you know, periodically, probably every okay. seven to ten to maybe fourteen days should be adequate. And then after another question. Okay, and, another question I have is about peonies. Uh, once they bloom, and they are blooming right now, they look great, um, the leaves turn black. Right. Is that the time to cut them down? Or how no, long you that's not the time to cut them down. You should spray them. As soon as the foliage starts coming up, that's a fungus on them. And so you start putting fungicide, spraying them with a the fungicide. That will prevent that problem. They get powdery mildew. They get several different kinds of foliar funguses. So it should stay a greenish throughout the rest of the summer? Right. Basically until they start, you know, let's say going to sleep, and that's going to be later on uh, sometime maybe August, early September. Do you think it would be the same bonide spray that the gentleman gave me from the lawns and vegetables and trees and such? As far as a fungicide? Correct. No. you got to get a fungicide. Get a specific fungicide. So okay. something is just overall general. I mean, that's great, but... I don't think they're always that good. And they would have that, you guess, at the uh, garden center as well? Yeah. Okay. So just tell them, uh, okay. you have, yeah, tell them you have a fungus on your peonies. And, you know, it's too late to spray this year because you got to spray oh. as soon as the foliage starts coming up out of the ground. And then spray oh, periodically every couple of weeks. Right. Okay. 
How about, hey, thanks very much. I appreciate your time. Sure, my pleasure. All righty. Bye-bye. And I don't think we should probably try to squeeze another one in. It's going to be too tight. But anyway, um, sunflower trivia. The sunflowers are really starting to take off. And uh, this is some trivia from the University of Missouri Extension. They have, a, a let's say, a newsletter that they send out. And the world's tallest sunflower measured an amazing 30 feet one inch high. And this is according to Guinness Book of World Records. Now, 30 feet high sunflower. I don't know what kind of sunflower that was or where it was growing. Again, this is from the University of Missouri. They just have compiled some other stuff. So throughout the next hour, I'm going to sprinkle a little bit of stuff (laughs) related to the sunflowers because they're going to be spectacular this year. And the wild sunflower is the official state flower of Kansas. So if you do have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, it is the Garden Hotline, tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving it shortly, but right now you can give us a call. You'll be one of the first people in line, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Mr. Kelly, Yo. do the birds. We got a bunch of birds because yeah. I'm throwing a seed out on the sidewalks and mm-hmm. stuff. So I mean, it's like a buffet line. It's really great, isn't it fun? And it's lo- it's great to see the young birds that are recent hatchings mm-hmm. because they're on the ground, they're fluttering, and they like feed me. So they f- <laughs> were able to fly there, but they don't want to go down and bend over and get the seed. I guess mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what's, but it's hilarious. We'll see them get up on the feeders. And like we had one last year, a couple, there were two young woodpeckers, and the one was kind of showing the other one how to eat and how to how to get the seed out and how to do it, you know. And then this other bird came along and chased away the older one, and the younger one was standing there like, I don't know what to do. What do I do? And you could just see it. Look, it's so funny. Last night, the red-headed woodpecker came back, and we sat on the back porch, and it, it would come down and get a seed and then fly back to, like, the same spot in the tree. Right. And it must have made 30 or 40 trips. It's like it's burning off the calories anyway. It's not going <laughs> to gain any weight that way. But what a beautiful animal. And then, let's see, we had a blue uh, grosbeak. We've got a couple of those. Are you kidding? And I didn't even know they existed. Yeah. And we had two of those last night. We had, of course, like two or three blue jays and countless cardinals, the yellow finches. And then we had, uh, yesterday I saw the Oriole come back. Wow. This one was not as orange as the other one. It was a little yellower. So I don't know if that's a female or not, but it was a little different shade. Right. And we've just had, it's... It's all, isn't it fun? You Absolutely. just feed the bird, just watch them. Right. It's like their own little society. <laughs> you aren't kidding. And so, yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying that. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Brian. And, folks, thanks to you for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, cares for, ups and downs, and all arounds for the annuals. The pansies are still doing well. Usually by this time, mid-May or so, they start uh, waning a little bit, but uh, for the most part, they look really good. The bulbs, the summer bulbs, you can get those planted if you haven't planted them yet. The edibles, the cool season vegetables. I've got some lettuce that I just grew for fun in window boxes. It really looks great. The ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember, again, 
My answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board, that's Alex. He's producing, so when you call, he answers the phone, first name, and where you're calling from. That's all he needs. Uh, during the week and on weekends both, I spend time doing landscape consultation, walk and talks. And uh, there, I can come to your home and help you solve any kind of scenarios that you might have. Also, have a list. We'll work our way through the list. But I keep my eyes open for other things that might be impacting your landscape also. The tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me. It's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Uh, tip of the trial goes out to all the people, and they're not really all that you know, popular or whatever, but the, you know, the fringe trees. There's the ones that are flowering right now. They're really wispy looking and everything else. But walking through the neighborhood, which I walk every afternoon, I walk every morning, and then every, every afternoon I take longer walks. But when I walk down Rosa from basically, oh, let's say Gravois to King, all the way, it doesn't quite go all the way to Hampton because it sort of dead ends at a bank parking lot type thing with a fence. But there was either two or three fringe trees along Rosa. It was nice because the fragrance is fantastic. They're really fine textured, so if you've got some heavy-duty textured type things and you want something that will stand out entirely from those, so the people along Rosa that have the fringe trees in bloom, and then the city of St. Louis have the red chestnut trees in the park, Christie Park, which is right across the street from where our house is. And they are in bloom right now, and when we were coming back from someplace the other day, Tracy said, what is that that's in flower? I told her it was a red chestnut, so... Uh, the chestnuts are, you know, po- I don't want to say poisonous, but they are kind of poisonous. But it's not the chestnuts roasting on the open fire. But uh, anyway, so it's people that are growing some trees that are a little bit out of the ordinary. And this year has been the best year for trees. So, I mean, the the Coosa dogwoods are in bloom right now, too. So they bloom right after the sort of the native dogwoods. So it's just been a fantastic year from a tree standpoint. So thanks to everybody for doing that. Let's get a call in before we take a break. Let's go to Karen's yard, and she lives in Webster Groves. Hi, Karen. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have a question about pink ladies. I'm not sure the formal name, but, you know, about a month ago, that was the first green foliage, and it looked great. Now they are so tall, and they're falling, like, over my flowers. (laughs) Right. Since they don't bloom till August, what can I do with them? You mean as far as, so you're really just talking about the leaves. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the yeah, the leaves right now. Yeah. So it's, a, I mean, another name for it is naked lady. So in other words, naked because they naked shoot. Naked lady. Yeah. So they shoot the flower stalks up after you've long forgotten even about the foliage. But there's not too much you can really do because if what you could do, because they are a bulb, if you cut the foliage off, that's not going to be, you know, helping the bulbs overall health. That won't stop them from flowering, let's say, this year, but from just being, you know, having the strength to keep going and going and going. Right. But, I mean, they're kind of towering over now, the plants that were next to them. Right. And so they like- probably, as soon as they start, you know, discoloring, you know, getting some yellow, just like with your daffodils or tulips or anything like that, you can cut them, you know, down. But I certainly would let them go as long as they're still looking, let's say, that normal type green. Okay. 
Um, my second question, clover in the yard. Is it too late to put something down for that? Well, it's already growing, so you're probably going to have to use a weed-be-gone type thing. But regular, let's say just general, generic weed-be-gone may not be strong enough. Clover in the yard is a tough, you know, tough plant to control. So it's probably going to take a couple years to get it under control. Go to your favorite garden center and tell them you have clover and let them recommend what variety of you know, herbicide that they have for broadleaf weeds as opposed to just getting a weed-be-gone type thing. Okay. I was going to put down my second application of melorganite uh, this weekend. Too soon? No. I mean, that's fine. So you're putting it down on your plant material or are you putting it on your lawn or what are you putting it on? On my lawn. Okay, that's fine. Okay, so and then how long do I have to wait before I do the weed be gone? Uh, they don't counter, they don't counteract each other, but just watch out if you've got bluegrass or fescue lawn. Even with a low analysis, let's say fertilizer like melorganite is, you want to feed it going into the summertime. So this would be the last feeding for that. You know, if you're talking about zoysia, that's a different scenario. That goes through the entire summer. No, it's a cool lawn. Okay, so, so don't okay. feed when it starts getting hot. Very good. Appreciate your help. Sure. Thanks, Mike. My pleasure. And 314-436-7900 and 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, a few more sunflower uh, trivia circumstances. Sunflowers can decrease the growth of neighboring plants due to the compounds they basically contain that can cause some toxicity into the soil and can impact nearby plant materials. This phenomenon is called allelopathy. Let's see, what else? Uh, Basically, sunflower is one of the few plants that have been grown in the International Space Station. I didn't know if you knew that. But uh, let's see. Also, in addition to being high in protein, sunflowers' seeds are rich in antitoxins, and they can lower the risk of developing several different kinds of medical conditions also. And the world's most valuable sunflowers, guess what? They are on the canvas painted by Vincent Van Gogh. It is sold in 1987 for $39 million. So sunflowers are pretty wild. Let's go now and over to Ruth Ann's yard, and she lives in Alton. Hi, Ruth Ann. Hello, Ruth Ann. Are you there? Sorry, Ruth Ann. Give us a call back if you want to. Let's go now to Marie, and she's in Chesterfield. Hi, Marie. Hi there, Mike. This is uh, Marie. Hi. I have a Cherokee Chief pink dogwood that was professionally planted. It's heading into its sixth summer. Um, last fall, buds galore. I knew it would just be a fabulous uh, show as it has been come the spring. However, come the spring, uh, I got a couple of good weeks of, of good flowers before that dip into the couple of nights of 29 degrees. Mm-hmm. However, only one half of the tree. Literally, you could just draw a line and say, this is the left side, that's the right side, and one side just never uh the buds you could tell were never really maturing uh they never bloomed no leaves no signs at this point that leaves are going to happen on that side uh, and now uh very very gradually the good side the good half of the tree uh fully leafed out looked fabulous 
but now I'm getting just selected little limbs within those still very vibrant and leafed out limbs that are, uh, the leaves are shriveling up and dying. I, I feel like I'm not going to save this, but I'm interested in knowing if you have an idea of what's going wrong, because I, I would like to replant another pink dogwood, you know, probably five or six feet away from this spot. But if it's, if it's something in the soil, it's just going to cause the other one to decline. Maybe I need another choice altogether. Yeah, I don't, you know, there shouldn't be anything that would impact, especially a six-year-old tree. There hasn't yeah. been any change in your landscape or anything else, I'm assuming. No, So, no. And it was obviously probably originally planted correctly. So, in other words, the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground because the drainage is one of the things that send dogwoods downhill. And so consequently, why this particular one is going through this kind of phase, it's tough to say. But the, the pinks and the red, both those type of dogwoods, you'll see some, you know, some nice ones throughout the metropolitan area. But for the most part, they're not the best variety. You know, you know as much as people think, oh, they're white dogwoods and blah, blah, blah. But still, I mean, that's the toughest one, especially like the Cloud 9 hybrid is a very, very good one. But if you wanted to try another one, you could go ahead and do that. But uh, I'm not saying it's going to happen again. But, you know, the way that you're describing how this thing kind of went downhill, last year it sounded like it was in good shape. It set everything up. And then, you know, it had to be some kind of, you know, vascular type thing in in the sort of the veins of the tree, more or less. Right, right. It was just odd that literally, I'll just use the word right, the right half, nothing ever happened, and the right. left half looked normal. Um, so you don't think it's any fungus or anything in the soil that would infect a new uh, similar tree? Then. No, I really I don't. Now, you don't have any large trees close by or anything, do you? No, okay. no. It is in a nice uh, open spot. Okay, so then, you know... Who knows what exactly caused this? Yeah, and it's yeah. just sort of the quirkiness of the world of plants. You can, you might know <laughs> um, what's, so you know, what's ca- of- causing, but sometimes you just don't know. Got it. So you think going in with another dogwood um, is not a problem, but you'd recommend like a white, a cloud nine variety? Yeah, or yeah, okay. one of the, you know, just the hybrid. Or, you know, if you want to have one that blooms a little bit later, you can go with the Kusa dogwood, which is the Japanese variety of the, our native dogwood. Okay, okay. Well, at least it sounds like good news. I could put another dogwood in the same vicinity because right. that is that was really the the look that I was looking for. Oh, you're the best. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you. And let's see, where should we go now? Uh, mm-hmm. Let's go to Ruth Ann. Ruth Ann called back. Hi, Ruth Ann. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. I love your show. Um, to the lady who called about the milkweed, mm-hmm. there is milkweed at Gardenscapes and at Wythop Nursery. Ah. And there is also the past couple of weeks they've had several callers about a kiwi that can grow in the area. There is a hardy vine kiwi that grows. My friend has one uh, planted in Godfrey and right now it's in its third year. Oh really? He hasn't gotten he hasn't gotten any fruit yet, but this year it did flower. Great. So, there are hardy kiwis that are good for zone 6 or zone 8, whichever one we're in. <laughs> well, great. Well, thanks for the insight. Okay, thank you. Love your show. You have a great day. Well, thanks for having me on your show. And now let's head from Ruth Ann's and go over to Steve's yard. Hi, Steve. Hello, Steve. Yes, sir. 
Go ahead. Hi, Mike. Good yeah. morning. Thanks for uh, thanks for your time. Sure. My question today: I have a couple of sweet gum trees. To have the bark is, has this really bad scaling on it, and I've planted some bur oaks about uh, forty feet from it. Now I have one of my bur oaks are starting to show signs signs of the same scaling. Can you tell me what that is, and if there's anything I can do to get rid of it? It's probably is it like kind of a grayish, grayish, bluish, greenish. Yeah, I, I guess you could say that. And yeah, it's grayish. on the it's on the trunk, basically. It's on the limbs. It's on the whole tree. I mean, the whole all the limbs have. It, it, all the best way I can describe it is it looks like scales. Yeah, I mean scales are little individual dots. So this time, this to me sounds like. I don't know what part of town, you know, where you live or anything else, but this sounds just like a type of lichen, L-I-C-H-E-N-S. Mm-hmm. And just, I would take a look at the lichens because this is just a natural thing that happens mm-hmm. to tree bark. And, to, I mean, it could go in various parts of the tree. Usually it's going to be on the bark and then sort sure. of expand I'm out from there. Pardon okay. Me? Oh, go I'm, ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I had to talk to somebody else a minute. Sure. Okay. So uh, you think it's a lichen? Okay. Thanks, Mike. Thanks right. for your time. Yeah, it's not nothing to be worried about. If the trees are healthy and everything else, it's not scale. Scale it can be on the branches and stuff, and but it causes sort of the decline. And usually, it's not going to be on a larger trees. It's not going to be all that impactful. So let's head over to Al's yard. Al, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I have a question. Uh, I've got some roses. They happen to be knockout roses. But uh, they're getting the white spots and the holes in them. And I've used an ortho product uh, that's a systemic that you put on the ground and you water in. It's supposed to also be a fertilizer, but that hasn't seemed to work. I started even before it appeared this year. Is there some specific product you can recommend for that? Uh, basically, this is probably you know an insect that's on the underside of the leaf. So just any general all-purpose insecticide, just spray on the underside of the leaves. Well, the problem with that is that's kind of <clears throat> impractical to get all the leaves. I was looking for a systemic, really. Yeah, systemics, pretty much any systemic is going to be kind of the same thing. Bear Products has several st- different types of you know, systemics, but uh, they all should be kind of pretty equally effective. Okay, so any kind of any kind of a little animal, regardless of what it is, a rose mite or whatever, it, it should kill all of them, basically, you would think. Yeah, anything that sort of like penetrates the foliage, that's where the poison is, that should, you know, kill the insect of whatever is actually feeding on it. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. And why don't we go ahead and take a break now? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Helianthophobia. Helianthophobia. Guess what that is? That is a mental health disorder if you're afraid of sunflowers. Oh, my goodness gracious. I never heard of that. But anyway, so again, that's some more information from the University of Missouri Extension. They sent out this newsletter, and they were specializing on sunflowers. Let's head over to Don's yard now. Hi, Don. How are you? Good morning, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I I just purchased a knockout rose tree, and I like to know whether or not uh, how often would it need fertilizing, 
And oh. does you use rose food for it? Yes, absolutely. And basically, this all a rose tree is, whether it's a you know knockout rose or a regular rose yeah, it's tree. It's a knockout. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They're just regular shrubs that have been pruned to look like trees. So there's really no difference to them uh, to them at all, except their structural aspects. So yes, monthly with the rose food, that's what it needs. And how uh, do is that? Uh, do you feed it like up until maybe uh, July or once a month? Yeah, once a month. But no, you're going to feed past July. You're probably with the last feeding. It's going to be in September. Once a month, I see. Uh, do you use a granulate or do you use the one that you goes through your garden hose? It doesn't really matter. Just so it's you know specifically for rose food or roses because it's going to have certain elements that regular fertilizer doesn't necessarily have. So there's a couple things that impact the roses, like lack of calcium. That's one of the things that the rose food has. So it doesn't matter what you use, just so it's specifically for roses. And, you know, let me digress a little bit, too. The last feeding is going to be in September, but early, you know, September, so around uh, Labor Day. That would be the last feeding of the year. I see. And uh, I... Also, uh, my last question is on uh, begonias. Uh, does uh, does that require a lot of shade? I mean, part shade and part sun. Because I bought a basket, uh, a hanging basket that, and it said part shade and part sun. And which is is the better? Well, it's uh, saying it wants a combination for. of both. So, in other words, like morning sun. I mean, there's all kinds of different begonias, but if it says specifically that, it just doesn't want to be in the full sun all day long, every day. That's basically what they're saying. Oh, oh, okay. All right, because it's in a hanging basket. Right. You know, on the porch, in the hanging from the porch. Okay. All right. Uh, that'll be all. I, I, I thank you for, for your service. And Well, thank you, Don. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, let's, let's head Thank over. Thank you to, so much. Bye bye. Okay. Let's head over to Rich's yard. Hi, Rich. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good, Mike. Um, I bought some small ewes last year and planted them. Um, and this spring, the um, the new growth on top has turned brown. Ooh. Uh, on all of them. Uh, what's my problem? Basically, it sounds like uh, maybe when you planted them, did you make sure that uh, the top 20% of the root ball, the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground? That sounds like a, I mean, it could be because they were young. The new growth could have just been coming out, and we had those couple nasty cool spells so or cold spells, so that could have been the cause of it. But if all of them you know, got the same thing, I'd say just cut them off and then just... Uh, you know, kind of keep your fingers crossed that it isn't related to a drainage circumstance because ewes cannot okay. take a wet soil. Okay. Um, I planted them behind uh, um, a modular block retaining wall that's got clean rock. You know, Phil, I just got uh, about, I don't know, about two foot of soil on top of that. So maybe that's the, maybe they don't have enough soil. Yeah, and, uh, two foot should be enough for young plants. I mean, that shouldn't be a problem. It's okay. just so the wall is not acting like a dam and, you know, holding moisture and that type of thing. Okay. All right. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure.
And now let's go to Ann's yard in Pittsfield. Hi, Ann. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have an autumn blaze maple that I planted, I think, two years ago. It has leafed out um, probably the top two and a half to three feet, but nothing below that. And I noticed that it has some uh, what I call scale on it. Um, I wanted what I could spray that with. Uh, I know you use the dormant oil in winter, right? but didn't know if I could still use that. I, the dormant oil, once it leaves out, that would kill the, all the foliage. So, but there is a you know a summer weight horticultural oil that you can spray, and I'm surprised it would have it. They must the scale must have been on there when you bought them. If I don't know, it was beautiful last year, right? And this is the only tree that has it, and this is has a problem, right? Um, and I guess you know I had looked at the tree tree, but not closely to see the scale on it, right? So, I, I'm calling it scale. It's that great green. Blue stuff. Well, that's lichen. That's not really an insect. Okay. So this, you know, you're the second person that's, you know, called about autumn blaze uh, maples, and both your both scenarios seem pretty much the same, like they haven't really done well. So it could be just related to the fact that they're not a great variety for here. And with this year being as, let's say, as nutty as it has been, with really getting warm and then really getting cold, maybe they're just, you know, I mean, they can't handle that fluctuation back and forth. They may sta- it may stabilize and be okay, but uh, who knows? But the lichens is not causing the problem. Oh, really? No. It's just covered with it, so. Yeah, that's not, it's not problematic. That's more cosmetic. Oh. So it's only on the surface. It's not impacting anything on the interior, vascular, or whatever else related to, you know, the tree's overall health. Okay, so just don't do anything then. Right, just leave it alone and just kind of keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, I think that's good advice. <laughs> okay, I will uh, not spray it with anything then. Yeah, don't so. bother. It's not going to make any oh. difference. Okay, all right. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, just hopefully, right. the you know, with these autumn blaze, you know, the root system's getting, the lady that called the last hour, I think hers were older, so not the same kind of situation you had, but a well-established root system. And again, the maples, some of the maples can handle moisture, but the, these, you know, sort of like hybrids don't seem to do really well, you know, if the soil is too moist. So, and like I said, well, I, oh, go ahead. It, it's kind of on the edge of a of a. There's a bank, uh, about seven eight feet away from it. So I would think that it would get plenty of drainage. Yeah, I mean, again, but, and just when it's planted, it should have the top of the root ball higher than the surrounding ground. But that's the best thing you can possibly do. So yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> Thank you. It sounds like I'm going to need it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> Thank you very much again. Sure. My pleasure. And let's head over to Nora's. Hi, Nora. Hi, Mike. Hi. I just recently uh, removed a pin oak tree uh, because of the galls. And is I have mulch, I just put mulch in the space now. I want to know when should I, uh, when I'll be able to plant grass in that area. Uh, probably a couple years. 
A couple of years. Okay, so in the meantime, I put some mulch over it. Is that going to harm it? No, that won't harm it at all. Basically, what you want to do, you're just waiting for the wood to kind of, even if the stump grindings and everything else, if you had the stump ground out, even if a lot of that was raked out, there's still a lot of, let's say, viable wood left there. And then consequently, Mm -hmm. as that breaks down, the root systems and everything else, it takes several years. And if you try to put something there, be it lawn or another tree or a shrub or whatever it happens to be, then it's just going to, you know, it's not going to be able to handle that wood quality because the wood left there binds up nutrients and moisture and causes problems from that standpoint. If it's a spot, you know, you could put a pot there and put some, you know, plants in a pot. But other than that... Anything in the ground is not going to be able to make it. Okay, that's what I did. I put a pot there with some plants. Oh, good. But my my lawn care service said he could put uh, dirt in there and then plant some grass in September. So that's not a good idea, right? No, not that soon. Okay. I mean, it'll come up, it'll germinate, but then it's not going to have, a let's say, longevity factor. Okay. Okay, that's what I thought from listening to you over the years that it would take a couple of years. Right. Okay, thank you so sure. much. My pleasure. And Bye-bye. Well, wow, let's take a break. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. Let's head it over to Dennis's yard. Hi, Dennis. Yeah, I've got a garden of tulips that are pretty much spent. I want to get dig them up. What's the... When can I do that? What's the best way to do that to be able to put it back down in the fall? Okay, basically what you want to do is make sure that the foliage has started to turn brown. And the browner it is, the better it is. Don't cut it off. Leave the foliage there. That way you'll know right where they are. Then you can dig them up. You don't have to dig them up necessarily. You can just leave them in the spot. Uh, Well, I was wanting to to get rid of all that uh, overgrown uh, leaves right now because it looks kind of cruddy and I want to put other stuff in that little garden. But basically, if you cut off the leaves, then what that does is those leaves there are building up the bulb for next year. And you cut off the foliage, that means it's not going to be, you know, given the extra strength of the time that they would, you know, continue to be green before they turn brown. So that's a disadvantage of doing that. What about just leaving the foliage in as as I dig them out? Uh, You can, yeah. Just make sure. What do I do with them? What do I put them? Basically, you want to put them in a paper bag, put newspaper, you know, in between if you've got a bunch of them, and uh, just store them in the basement. Sounds good. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Remy's. Hi, Remy. Rima, sorry. Uh, my, hi, Mike. Um, I have a question about drift roses. We purchased several last year. We purchased a sweet drift and an apricot drift. Today, I look out in my garden, and the sweet drift roses have this powdery mildew-looking stuff on them that just popped up, like, overnight. Mm -hmm. What can I do about that? you got to go to your favorite garden center and get a fungicide. Okay, it's not a bug. It's a a fungus. Right. Okay. I mean, take take your thumb and your index finger and just rub the surface. And if it just rubs off, then it's going to be a fungus. Probably powdery mildew could be what it is. And is that just because of the cool weather we've had? Generally, cool weather, 
and I mean, it's going to potentially happen also when the weather gets hot. It's high humidity is really what causes it. How often do I need to treat these? Uh, It depends upon, you know, the particular variety, because some of the varieties are much more prone to the problem than other ones. But uh, generally with the fungicide, with the roses, they're recommending spraying fungicides as a preventative type thing about every three to four weeks. Okay. Okay, I can do that. And fertilize every three to four weeks also? Exactly, with rose food. Okay. I can do it. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Good luck and uh, have fun. And let's head over to Angie's. Hi, Angie. Good morning, Treehouse Mike. (laughs) How are you this morning? Very good. Great. I'm calling about a tree. I'm lining up with the tree people. I have a tree in my backyard that has been here at my family's home for years. But as a recent, and we always prune it back every fall, about November, and it starts to bloom, and I don't know the variety, and I apologize for not knowing that. But one thing I noticed is that the gentleman that does the work for the tree, he indicated and kind of said, can I show you something? And he pushed, he was able to kind of nudge the tree, and it moves. So I'm concerned I want to save the tree, and I wanted to know what do I need to do. And the tree's been for a long time, so when he nudges it, I mean, how big is a diameter? What's a diameter? The diameter is probably right about three to four feet, about three to four feet. And he could actually move it, leaning on it? He Well, he can push it, and it pushes. It, it does move. Wow. It doesn't move a lot, but it does move. Hmm. Because, I mean, that's a huge, just him having the physical ability to push it to make it move. That in the in the uh, the leaves and everything look okay. Yeah, the leaves look fine. It blooms. It blossoms every. It blooms every year. Um, it looks. I mean, I love that tree and I don't want to lose it. But it's been. It's fine. It looks fine. It, now it does have a split in the middle, uh, but but still it comes back like crazy every year. Yeah, there's a, you know there's really not too much you can do. I mean, you, I mean you could have a tree service like bore through it, and you know actually the cable of you know. Puts a, a bolt and nuts, and mm-hmm. actually to hold the split together. But uh, is but this? The, the split is not. The split doesn't seem to affect it. I mean, honestly speaking, it still seems to be a sturdy tree. But he was able to move it. Yeah, that's bit. very strange. To be honest with you, that's strange. Yes. <laughs> is that would it be the are the roots does not have enough dirt to hold the roots? Is that part of what's going no, on? No, it doesn't have enough root system. Doesn't have enough root system. Right. Oh. So. But if it's looking healthy, is this a is this a red you know a flowering pear tree? No, it doesn't. It doesn't have any pears. It just has um, a regular leaf on it, and the leaves turn a little yellow, and they start to fall off. Maybe about uh, they start falling slightly about July or August. It never completely falls. We have to trim it back. Oh, hmm. And and it, it, the, the leaves are green. Uh, the leaves look healthy, and it seems to be a and it withstands. It doesn't move in the wind, as far as I know. But he just went over to it and he says, "Hey, see this?" And I was like, "Oh, okay." And uh, just rocked back and forth, but I can't see any root systems. It's um, it looks healthy. Other than that, I would I mean, say the tree service probably would say it was probably crappy looking, but <laughs> it's okay to me. <laughs> I would say just leave it alone. Leave it alone. Just let it do its thing. Right. It's not tall as the house. But if maybe the top fell, it might fall in the gutter or something like that. But it's not as tall as the house. So. Right. So okay. I would that, think just leave it, you know. 
Just let it ride? Yep. Okay, then, Mike, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Sure, my pleasure. Okay, bye-bye now. Yeah, I don't know what, I mean, a tree that can be moved by somebody just leaning on it. Wow. But anyway, so thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, I'll tell you what, some of the things that you need to be thinking about, your azaleas and rhododendrons. Actually, I walked by a house yesterday, and I was surprised there was a rhododendron that was in bloom. Usually by this time, they've sort of, like all faded out and uh, you know, lost their flowers. But uh, another fertilizing, but just make sure that if you have azaleas or rhododendrons, that you use a fertilizer for acid-loving plants because if you don't, then it's going to cause some real problems. If you are growing mums, you got to pinch them again. You're going to have to pinch them twice more between now and the 1st of August, so t- two more times. And then depending upon how long the stems of your mums are, basically pinch it about halfway back. And they want to be fertilized too, so they want to have some really strong food. Your spring flowering bulbs, as I was talking about, uh, they can be fertilized once more. So your daffodils, your tulips, your crocus, once more with a lower analysis fertilizer. And leave the foliage on those bulbs especially if you're going to leave them in the ground because that builds up the bulb for next year. And then a lot of times some of the hybrids with the tulips and things like that, they don't have a longevity factor of more than one or two years. So just be realistic with all this other stuff. More height for fescues and bluegrasses, guess what? Three to four inches. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next. No, I won't see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.